Well, good morning, Harlem and Lower Manhattan, or should I say Big Apple Church. Appreciate you guys coming all the way uptown to worship uh, with us. Uh, we, have a, we started a great series called American Idols in Harlem about two weeks ago, and uh, we're going to continue on with that so you guys can just enjoy the ride. Um, I do want to start off with the word of prayer, and then we're going to jump right into our lesson for today. We do have the kids here, so I do want to be as brief and as concise as possible without taking away from the message. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father God, we are truly grateful to be in a country where we get to express our faith in you freely, where we can read our Bibles openly, and where we can share our faith passionately. And Father, I pray that you will help us to make the most of every opportunity that we're given as long as we're living uh, with our freedom and our liberties to do so. Father, I pray that my message will be clear, that it will be uh, in in tune with your spirit. I pray that you will help us to identify the idols uh, that may be set up in our hearts, anything in our lives that compete for your rightful position, God. I pray that you will expose it in our hearts, give us the faith, give us the courage to tear down those idols and move forward, God, and to devote our hearts fully and uh, undevotedly to you. Father, we love you, we thank you, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So let me just get this out the way. If if we happen to be fellowshipping and I catch your eyes staring at my teeth, because it looks like I have something on, on my teeth. I had gum surgery the other day, so these are like stitches. I know a few people looking at me like, should I say something? looked like he has, he was chewing gum. He didn't entirely finish it, or he was trying to hide it. And so I just want to let you know, that's what it was, because I got some strange looks already. So that's what, that's what it was. All right. Uh, the last time we were together, Harlem, we looked at the recipe for idolatry, right? The recipe for idolatry. You know, after the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, God had to compete with idols for the heart of man. Have you ever stopped to wonder why certain sins are harder for you to overcome than others? It could point to idolatry. Have you ever wondered why it feels as if you're stuck in a certain cycle with a certain sin? But it's easier for you to overcome some other sins in your life, but there's this one sin that constantly trips you up. You ever wondered why? Maybe there's an idol in your life. And we'll talk about that in just a second. You see, the reason could be that you've not dealt with the root of the sin you're trying to overcome. You know, it's human nature for us to to deal with the behavior, because that we can see. But what I'm talking about is on a heart level. That's not so easy to see. It really takes effort. It takes a willing heart to confess what's going on in our hearts. Because we can't see your thoughts. We can't see the emotions. We can't see the feelings. But when we see the actions, okay, I can help you with that. But we know, those of us who are parents, 
that trying to control our children's behavior doesn't deal with the character. It just gets them to sit down for a little bit so we can finish watch the game. Now, most of the time we deal with the behavior or the surface sin, we'll call it that, but that's not true repentance. And so when we see when Paul talks about repentance and having to repent, the type of repentance that is ready to see justice done and, and, a, and a willingness to do whatever it takes, and then the opposite of that is a worldly sorrow. The worldly sorrow is dealing with the surface sin and not getting to the root sin. And so we walk away where we feel upset, but we're not truly convicted and moved to change because we haven't dealt with the root of the sin. You know, I had a toothache, a really bad toothache, uh, about a year ago. And it turns out that I had a wisdom tooth that was impacting another tooth. And it was the most excruciating pain I've ever been in my life. And so it, it was so bad that when the pain would come on, it would stop mid-sentence. It would stop, like I would stop talking mid-sentence. So I had to get rushed to a special surgeon to have it, you know, extracted. And as soon as he got it out, it was like instant relief. It got so bad one night, I went through a medicine cabinet. I did not care, you know, uh, Brother Darrell got up, was very vulnerable about CR. I was hoping to find something in my cabinet that would knock me out or at least, dull, that's how bad it got. And I'm, I'm willing to believe that some of us have gone through some situations in our lives where we felt so bad, we felt so hurt, so helpless, so hopeless, that we wanted to do whatever it took to get rid of that pain. It didn't matter what it was. We just, wanted to, we just wanted the pain to go away. We wanted the sadness to end. And it didn't, I didn't get relief until the guy took that tooth out. He had to rip it out the root. It was violent, but it felt good. And let me, let me tell you right now, when we can rip sin, sin out of the root, it's going to take effort. But when it comes out, it's going to feel so good. And that's what we're talking about here. We're not just talking about a nice little study series. We're talking about really giving our hearts fully to God. But some of us find ourselves frustrated because there's a root sin that's keeping us from giving all to God. For giving our best to God. For feeling secure in God's love and grace. And that's what I'm talking about today. You see, God doesn't just want us to stop lying. He wants us to love the truth. So we're not talking about behavior modification here. We're talking about true repentance. We're talking about times of refreshing, as it mentions in Acts 3.19. In the Old Testament, God's people experienced years of peace. Years of refreshing when they radically dealt with the idolatry in the camp. But whenever they chose to hold on to their idols, they, never, they were never satisfied or fulfilled. And they began a cycle of sin that would have them calling out to God, God sending a Savior. They would have peace for a time, but then go back to the idols. We're talking about breaking this cycle. 
And the problem was that Israel never really dealt with the root of why they were attracted to these idols in the first place. And so what I'm talking about is we are all, they're all sins that we're all susceptible to. Like Paul says that the sin that easily trips us up. You know, there are certain sins I don't have to try to do. It just comes out of me. It, it just happens because it's so ingrained in my, in my nature. And then there's some other things I kind of, you got to get psyched up to do. You know what I'm saying? But then there's some things like for some people it's lying. You can just lie and it just comes out just like you're speaking your native language. Because it's easy. And so to get rid of that root, that sin, you've got to deal with the roots. What is it that's keeping me holding on to this sin? Why is it so hard for me to let it go? In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 11 and 3, it says, Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their gods for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. This guy is drinking from a fresh spring, just coming over the rock. He's, I mean, he's just refreshing himself, right? But have you ever been thirsty and given a cup with a broken lid or a broken lip, and everything that you're trying to drink is just coming down your shirt or your chin, it's frustrating, right? It's frustrating. So what Jerusalem was, what Israel was doing, they were settling for gods, attracted to these gods with the deception that they could satisfy them. And God says that, no, they, these are actually broken cisterns. They're broken wells, like this right here. It's a man-made hole dug into the ground that collects rainwater. Now, this water will be tepid, stagnant. It just sits there. And you can imagine, I saw one picture of a deer trapped in a cistern. All sorts of nonsense is collected in these things. Now, what would you rather have? Fresh spring water, living water, or stagnant water that's collected? Over time. You see, idols, when idols are in our hearts, they, they overpromise and underdeliver. Idols are like broken sisters that don't hold water. They cannot satisfy us. When you think about the things that, that, that tempt to bring us instant gratification, they never fully satisfy. It's like going to Dunkin' Donuts. You're hungry, you get a donut, because in your mind you're thinking that's gonna fill me up until I get home. But then you get you walk past another, because you're not full. It's empty calories. And that's really what sin is. It's empty calories. It never fills you up. It never satisfies you. Idols cannot satisfy the desires of our soul. You know, David said that his soul longs for the Lord. Like a deer that pants for streams of water. Because David knew that God could satisfy him. Idols always overpromise and underdeliver. Idols lure us away from the best that God has in store for us. You know, sometimes when we're impatient, we're tempted to settle for less than what God has already promised for us. 
Now, God, God promised to give us the best that he can possibly give. Now, obviously, God is not going to give you anything that's going to take you away from him. So we got we to gotta have the right expectation, the right perspective on when God answers prayers. If God feels like this thing is going to take you away from him, then he has absolutely all right and authority to say no. And you can't be upset at that because God knows what's best. He created us. God, God made us. God formed us. He imagined us. So God knows what's best, just like parents knows what's best for their kids. When I was a teenager, I thought I knew better than my parents. When I became a parent, I quickly realized, you know what? My mom was right. I didn't know half is what I thought. Our parents, they'll tell us, eat your vegetables. It's good for you. I don't like the vegetables. I don't want to eat vegetables. Then you get old and get, what does your doctor tell you? You need to eat more vegetables. They weren't trying to ruin your meal. They weren't trying to ruin your life. Parents know what's best. They've been on the planet longer than you. Listen, they've been around the block a few times. Listen to your parents. Honor your mother. Honor your father because they know. And God knows. God has been dealing with mankind from the beginning. So if God tells us something, then we need to listen. We need to listen. Idols are full of lies. There's no truth in idols. They promise and they never deliver. So we got to be careful. Idols are good things that we make the, th- the main thing, and therefore it becomes sinful things. You know, for example, money. Money's not a bad thing to have. I think most of us would agree it's a very good thing to have, right? But when money becomes the main thing, now it's become an idol in your life. I need money. I have to have money. I want money. I love money. My life evolves around money. When you don't have enough money, you get anxious. You become fearful. You become stressed. That's because it's your idol. That's because it's your idol. You know, a person walking in faith, they understand, well, I don't have a lot, but you know what? I'm just like that widow that that Elijah walked by and just tapped her oil drums and it was overflowing with oil. How many times have God come through for you without you even asking for it. I mean, seriously, you don't think God wants you to have a job? You don't think God wants you to be happy? You don't think God wants you to be comfortable? As long as it doesn't become complacency or it becomes our idol, God wants us to enjoy all the things in this life as long as they do not take his place. God wants us to enjoy marriage. But even marriage, your wife, your husband can become an idol. I adore him. Honey, what do you want to do? You don't feel like going to church. He won't go to church because you don't feel good. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to rub your feet. And then I'm going to go watch the game. Then I'm going to come back. And I'm going to finish taking care of you. Not in the Warren household. If James is sick, my wife is like, all right, baby, well, here's the... Here's my number, you know, just make sure you call anything, text. You sure? She's going to church. And she's taking the kids. She's going to go be spiritual so she can come back and help me out. 
brothers, I know what the deal is. We talk about, we, oh, your bro, you know, my wife is sick. I'm going to stay home and take care of you. You're not taking care of your wife. You're not taking care of your wife. You're in the living room because you don't want to get sick yourself. So you, you rationalize, whoa, 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 wait a second now. If I stay here, then I get sick, then I can't go to work. Oh, baby, just call me. Here's a bell, you know, if you need me to bring you something. Well, not, I mean, come on. Our children can become an idol. We worship our children. We want them to grow up better than we. We want them to have all the things that we never had. And we spend every day, every minute of our lives trying to better the lives of our children. And our kids can become an idol. Our lives revolve around our children. Instead of God, who gave us those children. Idols are anything we look to other than God for our meaning, validation, and purpose. Is there anything like that in your life? If there is, I encourage you to be humble, to get brutally honest, and get help. And we'll talk about that in just a few moments. Let's look at some of the main idols. We kind of went through this. Idols are broken, sister. We can go through all that. There are three uh, main idols that I want to look at over the next couple of weeks. When we deal with sin, we got to get beneath the surface. We got to get deeper than what's, what we see. We got to deal with not just the behavior, but we got to get at the root. And so every idol has two, there's two stages of each idol. There's a surface idol, and then there's a deep idol. There's an idol that's beneath. All of that. There's a, the deep idols are pushing the surface idols. They're the things that's motivating and energizing the idols that's on the surface, the things that we can see. So when Jesus talks about the sins of the heart in Mark 7, verse 20, what do you think he's talking about? He's talking about the motivation behind the actions. The things that does not always come out of the mouth. You know, I mentioned this before. How many times have you heard someone confess greed? That's a sin of the heart. And it's because we live in a place, we live in a country where everybody's greedy to some extent. And so we don't, we won't, we don't challenge it because it's so ingrained in our culture, so ingrained in our society that we, we miss it. But you got to ask yourself, I mean, how many upgrades would Jesus have on his phone? Would he need the latest and greatest? And look, I'm a techie just like anybody else. I find ways to justify having the latest phone. Well, I need to open up documents. I need to be able to send stuff to people. You know, I want to be able to, I got to be, I might have to project from my phone things, you know. The last time you see someone project a presentation from their phone. I mean, we find ways. And then here's how you know can you afford it? Because if you can't afford it and you still get it, that's a sign. And here's the thing 
Just because you couldn't afford it doesn't mean you should have it. We got to be wise because our culture, our American culture, is set up to nurturing idolatry. And we have got to be on the offensive more so than on the defense. So let's look at what's beneath the surface. So some of the service idols, you know, your struggles, your temptations, and, and some of those specific sins, you know, like lying and, and uh, lust and, and, and uh, you know, different things like that that you read. The sins of, as we say, uh, the sins of action in Galatians 5. You can read through Galatians 5.19. The outward stuff, right? They got a big brother that's telling them what to do and telling them how often to do it. And if that big brother is in our heart, or big sister, I don't want to be, you know. But if that's in your heart, then that's why you can't get over that specific sin. Now we can, I don't want to get into science and all that other stuff. There's a lot of books, a lot of theories and all that. But if we're sticking to the Bible, the Bible is very clear that idolatry is a problem and has always been a problem from the beginning. And even through the New Testament, in 1 John, he says, children, free yourself from idols. Keep yourself free of idols. He's still saying that. Hundreds of years after the Exodus, they're still dealing with this sin because it's never gone away. And it's always, always present. So the deep idols that we're going to look at are control, importance, and comfort. These are the three deep idols, and there are many others, but we're just going to focus on these three. And we're going to look at, we're going to look at the deep idol of control today. The deep idol of control. Now, every idol, every idol has a lie and a snare attached to it. Every idol has a lie and a snare attached to it. Now, the, the lie for control is if I can just maintain influence or mastery over the situation, these people, my performance, my schedule, my income, then I'll be okay. I'll be content, I'll be stronger, and I'll feel secure. That's the lie. Because if we're honest, we're never truly, fully in control. You cannot control every situation. And you sure can't control every person. You can't control anybody. You can barely control yourself. Read Romans 7. Paul was having an issue with that. The things I want to do, I can't do. The things I don't want to do, this I keep doing. Paul was struggling. He couldn't keep himself under control. He said, I had to beat my body and make it my slave. It was hard for Paul. David, the man after God's own heart. I mean, you talk about falling to sin. He tripped, stumbled. I mean, the brother, he had a bad night. Murder, adultery, all in the same day? I mean, he went from being the poster child of, of, of God's of God Savior to being the poster child of what not to do. Why? Because we can't control ourselves. I mean, brothers, how many times have you tried to walk down the street and keep your eyes 
Keep your eyes in front of you. You, you can see throughout your peripheral. You can see an attractive young lady on the side. So you try to keep your gaze straight. And you're just saying that scripture. You say, I made a covenant with my eyes. And I look at it. I made a covenant with my eyes. I made a covenant with my eyes. I made a covenant with my eyes. And you're just trying to be the spiritual brother that you are. And as soon as you turn this way, you, your eyes catch something else. And then you're like, this way? And then you bump back. I mean, you end up doing a Stevie Wonder. You go, you... I mean, you're trying to control. You're trying to correct the behavior. But the issue is, why do you want to look in the first place? What need is that meeting for you? When you can answer that question, you won't have to do Stevie Wonder. You can walk in the power and the strength and the grace of God. Because God understands that we're all weak and we are all frail and that we all slip. And his grace is supposed to give us the power to be confident in the blood of Jesus. And so these idols are a problem in our lives. The biggest fear that someone has who struggles with this is instability and weakness. They're afraid of their life falling apart. They're afraid of not having control of their schedule. They're afraid of not being financially stable. Not that those things are not good. I think it'd be awesome if everyone was financially independent, financially stable, in control of their schedule. But when it obsesses you, and when you're obsessing about it, that becomes a problem. That becomes a problem. What are some ways this can play out? Let's look at some ways this can play out. One of the ways this plays out is we see that in the Old Testament, the people, they, they didn't want to be different than everybody else around them. They didn't think that that was cool. And so the people wanted freedom from the authority of both God and the priest that God appointed. And they wanted their religion to fit their lifestyle rather than their lifestyle fit their religion. They didn't want to be told what to do. They didn't want to be told, whoa, 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 wait a second, so we can only, so you're the only one that can go into the tent of meeting? Why is that? Why can't I go to the Holy of Holies? Why can't I? They had issues with authority. I mean, when Moses went up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, what happened? They threw a party, a sinful party. Because they didn't know what was happening with Moses. And time after time after time, they rebelled against God's authority. Now, here's the thing. When we rebel against the authority that God puts in place, the Bible teaches we rebel against God. Because it's God who puts that authority in place. And I think we can all agree that without authority, the people will do as they see fit. And I don't know about you, but I'm not willing to trust my safety in just anybody's hands. I want people to respect authority. I need some sort of structure in my life and in my neighborhood. And so I think, you know, one of the big issues that comes up, I mean, you think about, well, how does this apply to us today? You know, I've heard some people have issues with organized religion. Well, what's the, what's, the op- what's the other option? What does this organized religion look like? 
I mean, I don't think anyone would want that either. And so I think what the issue is that either, one, there's an issue with authority, but then two, some people may have been abused by authority. And so they're, they're, they're sensitive to certain structures. They're sensitive to certain systems. God understands that. But God calls us to still keep the right perspective, even under harsh authority. We're to worship as though we're worshiping the Lord. You can never pick your boss. Very few people can. You can't switch your boss like you switch shoes. You got to buckle down and, or else you won't have a job. And that very thing that you want, stability, will not come because you're hopping around because you don't like the bosses. Now let's talk about that spiritually. Well, I don't like how they do things here in Harlem, so I'm going to go over here. I don't like how they do things downtown. I'm going to go over here. Man, I don't like how they're doing things over here. What is wrong with this church? (laughs) Have you ever stopped to think just maybe once you could be the problem? I can't fix all of you. I can fix James. And if my heart's not right, it's my heart. I can work on that. I can deal with that. So... What we deal with today, people don't want to answer to authority. And that's not everybody. But those who want control. They want their religion to fit their lifestyle. Why do we have to meet on Wednesdays? Why can't we meet on Friday when I'm free? Why do we have to meet at 10 o'clock? That's so early. Why can't we meet at 11 like the Big Apple Church? Don't think I don't have to hear that. (laughs) When I grew up, you know what time we had to be to church? Eight in the morning. Three-piece suit, church shoes and all. And we didn't leave until eight in the evening. So this right here, praise him. I love it. We only in church for two hours. You know what? Let's start an evening service. What? Whoa, whoa, bro. What's going on? They want, we want our religion to fit our life. We, we don't, come on, we don't want to lose control, man. I got everything set up. And now you're switching mid-meeks. And now you, why is Bible talk here? Why is, you know, why are we doing this here? Why, what's going on? I don't, I, I'm losing control. And we rebel. And we fight back. Instead of seeing that, okay, maybe I could make some adjustments if I just trust God and put it in his hands. Right? There's a relentless pursuit of security, an excessive pursuit of power. These are ways these play out. These are ways these play out. Now, those are the lies, you know, that you have to do. You have to be secure. You have to make yourself secure. You have to do. The only thing you have to do is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others as you love yourself. That's all you have to do. Because God takes care of us. God takes care of us. So let's look at 1 Samuel. It's kind of out there, but it's a good reason why you got your Bible. 
1 Samuel 28. Let's look at a a few traps, and then we're um, going to start closing this out. The traps of fear. You know, fear is a big trap for those who worship the idol of, of, of control. Um, right here in 1 Samuel 28, verse 4, the Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem, and while Saul gathered all the Israelites and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. Saul then said to his attendants, find me a woman who is a medium, so I may go and inquire of her. This is one, there's one in Endor, they said. Fear made Saul desperate. This was Israel's first king, their very first king. He was handpicked by God anointed by the prophet Samuel to lead God's people. And he started to spiral out of control when he started realizing he was losing control. And he started, instead of inquiring of the Lord, Saul sought other means of getting what he wanted. You see, when when we step out of God's protective power, Fear sets in. Fear sets in. Because the security we have by, of being sheltered by God, of God being our rock and our foundation, is taken away once we step out of that circle of protection. And we step into the unknown. We step into the unpredictable. You see, when you're dealing with the unknown and the unpredictable, you got God on your side. Bring it on. Bring it on. I don't know what's going to happen. Wasn't that the attitude of Abraham? I don't know where we're going, but all I know is that the God, is God is with me. We're going. We're going to do this thing. That was his attitude, and God blessed him. But here we see Saul's heart was full of terror and fear because he became desperate. You know, in his book, Running Scared, Ed Welch said that fear for your safety and safety of your loved ones becomes prevalent when, when we start to struggle with wanting control. Once fear sets in and, we, and we're caught in that trap, we start to fear about how we'll die. We start to fear of being unloved or alone for the rest of our lives. We start to f- fear being, uh, not being in love or being in love and then hurt and abandoned. When God finally answers the prayer or gives us someone, we can't enjoy it because now we're afraid of the person being taken away or leaving us. We fear losing a friend, our youth, your spouse, your children, your income. You see, we can have a deep idol of control to the point that it can overwhelm us with fear. Fear is not weakness. Fear is a decision. Fear is a decision. I think sometimes, you know, when we look at, you know, the other day, my son, he was afraid to get down on the floor. He saw a bug. 
And, you know, you got you to gotta work with kids. You can't expect, man up. You know, I mean, you just got to, I mean, you got to work with kids, you know. But as a dad, I'm like, it's a bug, son. Come on, come on, you know. But then I'm thinking, okay, how would God deal with me in this situation? So I went to him and I asked him, what is it that you're afraid of? And talking, worked, worked him through his fear. And then I said, okay, you have a decision. You can get down and run across or run, go put something on your feet, protect your feet, or you can stay there and be afraid. And he decided to overcome his fear, went into his room, put on his slippers, and that was it. A very little exercise, but goes a long way. Because we're teaching courage over fear. Fear is a decision. You can decide to let fear cripple you, or you can decide to acknowledge it and then have courage and allow God to take you over it. We're overcomers. We're conquerors. We're not victims. The next is the workaholic trap. Anybody here can relate to that? The workaholic. Having work under control, work under control gives us the illusion that our future is protected. The need for control drives fear. And fear can drive us into being workaholics. We're so afraid of our livelihood being lost that we work, 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 we work. And, I mean, we're connected to our, we keep our phones on us in case the boss needs to read us. We're checking our emails and our text messages endlessly. We keep constantly checking in on the job. Your day is off. You're supposed to be with your wife and your kids, and you're constantly calling, and, hey, let me just take this call. Let me just make this call. And you're on vacation. Some people lift up workaholics. Wow, he's such a hard worker. But listen to what Ecclesiastes say right here. The man who's done everything. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days his work is in pain and grief. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. It's meaningless. You don't even get to enjoy the things you're working for. When's the last time you just sat down and enjoyed that big screen TV you worked so hard for? You ain't even watching it because you're busy looking at your phone, checking your emails. There's a reason God gave his people a Sabbath. To rest. To get energized. To get refreshed. And we cannot allow fear to control, to control us in this way. Amen? Let's go on to the next thing, anger, the anger trap. <laughs> There's some angry-looking babies. I don't know about you, but I would not want to babysit those children. Good news is that they do not belong to anyone in our congregation. Fear can make us angry. Have you, do you know that? When you, when you think about what is pushing our anger. Sometimes, I at least know for men, we tend to get angry when we're afraid, when we're anxious, or when we're hurt. We don't know how to express that what you said just disrespected me, so I get angry. Yes, you did so. We give our 
our wives or we give other people the cold shoulder. We put them in the doghouse because we don't know how else to react. And so a lot of times fear is driving our anger. Fear of losing our job. Fear of, 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 of losing our position. Fear of losing control of our family. Maybe your kids are not turning out the way you had hoped or planned, and that fear is making you angry because you can't believe how ungrateful they are. But who promised you that you would have totally obedient children? Who promised you that your children would have no flaws or defects? Who promised you that your children wouldn't have issues? God didn't. So why are you so angry? Because we feel like it shouldn't happen to us. And that fear fuels our anger. And let me tell you, I've seen some of y'all anger, and I just get out your way. Because the scripture might, you might burn the scripture up, you so hot. I open my Bible, it's like, what just happened? I've been so angry. I've been angry before, you know, not too long ago. And, I, and it was terrible. I had to apologize to my kids. The funny thing is, you know, I was yelling at someone on the phone, and I mean, I just lost control. They, they hurt me. And that's what it was. I, I, they hurt me, and I was angry because they would, you know, and I just lost it on the phone. It wasn't any disciples. Amen. All right. All right. You know, but family just knows how to push buttons. And so I went, I, 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 I gathered myself, and I went into, I prayed, and I went into the room, and I apologized to my kids, because they were in the other room. And my daughter said, I thought you were preaching. <laughs> I said, I said, bless your heart, child. To the pure, all things are pure. Go and be warm, well-fed. But she said, I thought, oh, I thought you were preaching. I said, no, daddy was sinning. All right? And I just wanted to apologize if I scared you guys. But, you know, anger is it's a, it's a, it's a serious problem for some people. And it doesn't get dealt with because we're dealing with the, we're dealing with the surface. You know, it's all right to count backwards to ten if that helps you in the moment. But what are you going to do about the problem? There's a reason why you're so angry. And it's deeper. It's deeper. It's deeper than what you, what you see on the surface. You know what happens to angry people that don't deal with their issue? They end up alone. The Bible says that. That's just scripture. I'm not just, I wish I would have thought that. That's scripture. We end up alone. Bible warns us that don't do not make friends with a hot-tempered person, or you will learn his ways. So it's an issue, and the only way to deal with it is you got to get to the root. You got to get to the root. And last, in this section, let's get out those uh, uh, angry babies. Judges chapter six, verse twenty-five. The last trap for control is power. Here in Judges, you know God was about to do an amazing work. And he called Gideon, he called Gideon out of hiding to do what Gideon never thought that he could possibly do. God called him a mighty warrior. And 
you know, this trap is motivated by the desire to dominate. We just got to be the guy. We have to be the captain of the ship. We have to make all the decisions. We have to be the one in control. And that all comes from the root of, of control. And so God, basically every idol that sets itself up against God's people, you know what he would do? He would have the people go and tear it down so that, and have them replace it. And I think that that's for a reason. Here in Judges, it says the same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the astral pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of his, this height, using the wood of the astral pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. You know, God would have us tear those, those idols down because he wasn't the one who set them up in the first place. So it makes sense that we take part in the rebuilding process. So God would have them physically tear it down and then rebuild a proper altar. It's not enough to just tear them down. you got to replace those idols with something. And that's our last and final point. Replace the idols of control with trust. Do you know the most frequent command in the Bible, what it turns out to be? What instruction, what order is given again and again by God, angels, by Jesus, by the prophets, and by the apostles? It's not be good. It's not be holy. It's not don't sin or don't be immoral. The most frequent command in the Bible is do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Do not be afraid. The most consistent and most frequent command in the Bible. Let's look at a few scriptures here. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. We have to replace these fears with trust. Do you think that God understands everything? Absolutely. So why not trust and lean on God? You don't know better. You don't know more than God. You don't even know how to regulate your own body temperature. You can't even figure out why your heart beats at the steady beat that it does. You can't explain yourself. So why trust yourself with everything and not trust God? See, God knows us inside out. He knows every hair on our head. God knit us in the womb. God knows you and God loves you. And that's the bonus is that he not only knows you, but he also loves you. And he knows what would encourage you. And so God wants you to replace that idol of fear with trust. In Matthew 6, we all know this passage. I don't have to read it again. Do not worry. If God can take care of the birds, if God can take care of the flowers, why can't he take care of you? You're worth more to God than a bunch of birds, especially pigeons. You're worth more to God than a flock of pigeons, than the most beautiful bird on this earth. God cares more about you than he does about them. And yet, God still dresses them in beautiful feathers. God still gives those flowers beautiful petals. You don't think God can give you a suit? 
You don't think God can give you some shoes? It may not be the ones you want, but God will provide. It's not about what you need. It's about what you, about what you want. It's about what you need. I think sometimes we're afraid to ask God because we know God may not give us what we want. That's a freebie. That wasn't even my note. But that, I think that's because that's, that's where I'm at sometimes. I'm like, you know, if I ask for this, he may give me what I need. And, all right, you know, just scratch that one right there, Lord. Anyway, uh, so Philippians 4, verse 6. You know, when you trust God with the details of your life, it's coming from a place of, of trust. Dependent. You know, my kids, they come to us for what they need because we're their parents. Do we always give them what they want? No. But we give them what they need. We give them what they need. Food, shelter, clothes, love, affection. We try to give them what they need. We can't always give them what they want because that's not always what's best for them. And so God as a parent won't always give us what we want because it's not always what's best for us. But God still cares about the details of your life. You know, my daughter, a couple weeks ago, she misplaced her flash drive and had all her schoolwork on it. She's an author, so she writes books. She had all her, her writing, her, her drawings, and she was just, she was just brokenhearted. And, you know, she, she went into her room, and I could hear her weeping through the door. So I went inside, hugged her, and, and I asked her, you know, you know, what's wrong? And she, you know, she was just, she was just un- in- inconsolable. So my wife came in and I said, all right, let's pray. Let's pray. Before flash drive. But because it meant so much to my daughter, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go to some, because I don't know. I, we looked everywhere. I don't know what else to do. But pray. We prayed. No sooner than we opened our eyes after the amen, I looked and said, what is that right there? It was her flash drive. And her eyes lit up. And I'm thinking, go Jesus. I'm like, come on. He didn't have to answer that. A flash drive. I was on my way to the store to get her another one. But God said, no, I'm about to build some faith up in here, up in here. We cannot allow ourselves to be robbed of those type of blessings. God wants to be in control. When God is in control, you are much happier. But when you fight and try to wrestle control out of his hands, you will always be unfulfilled, unsatisfied. And I even go to far as say depressed and consider leaving the very one who can save your soul. Don't underestimate the idol of control. If you feel like this is an issue in your life, I urge you, I implore you, get open, get help, confess, and replace it with trust. I love you guys. Next week we'll talk about comfort.